Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. We are back with another author, Miss Jen Reardon McSully. And obviously she is one of the most popular here at the fair because she came here a little earlier and had to step away. And now she's just now uh, a couple hours later, finally being able to step away. So thank you for being on our show. We appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your book. Sure. I actually have a book series, and it's called The League of Invisible Abilities, and each book is based on a disability, but I spin it in a way that it's about an ability. So, for instance, your kids are born with ADHD or autism or dyslexia. I want to make sure that these books empower children and let them know that they're amazing because they have these things and what are the superpowers you have because you have these abilities um, and each book talks about how they are superheroes and how they use their abilities to solve crimes or um, beat bad guys and so it just celebrates their abilities in a positive happy way because my goal is to help children love who they were born to be and not be afraid of it. And as someone who has two autistic children, this is definitely something that I'm really looking forward to reading and getting a chance to get. Um, because, we, and here's the other funny thing is that my co-host Marcella also has children on the spectrum as well. So we're very, very stand up and we are very protective of our children, but we love to inspire our children as well the same way. So what inspired you to write this? Is it, was it just because you were so active with children with disabilities? Um, I actually have dyslexia, was born with it, obviously. And um, when I was a kid, I was ashamed and felt stupid and dumb and hid it from everyone. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed with it in college that I realized I actually had something. And growing up, I kind of adopted all these amazing things because I had dyslexia that I wanted to create a series where kids understood that they have this ability for a reason and what they're going to do with it is going to make a huge difference and impact in this world and the book on autism I wrote with someone who has a child with autism and the book I made the child is actually nonverbal to give some love to our nonverbal children with autism and I wanted them to he is a uh, private detective and he solves mysteries using his powers of autism so it's pretty cool Oh, that is so cool because, one, again, father of one on the spectrum, but two, I also love detective stuff. So what is one of those things that really keeps you from writing? What is your writing kryptonite? <laughs> well, you know, I actually get this asked a lot. Like, how did you write? What did you do to get uh, out there? Well, because I have dyslexia, it is hard to actually sit down and write because it's your it's your kryptonite. It is the thing that is the hardest thing for you to do. I actually speak the the story into my phone and tell the story and just go for it. And then I go back and edit it. Um, so sitting down at a computer or using a pen and paper is actually my kryptonite to writing. But if I just go for a walk and tell the story of 
whomever I'm talking about at that particular time. My book that's coming out soon is about someone with anxiety and how they use anxiety as their superpower. So you just research a lot. I get someone who has um, anxiety and talk about their and celebrate their differences. So, You know, honestly, I don't think your your disability is a disability because the fact that you are very open with being dyslexic but still being able to write multiple books, I'm sorry, that's a superpower. Sorry, that's not a weakness. You can't use that. Um, is there a, a quote that really helps you to continue to try to fight that or just to be the best that you can be as a person? Well, I believe that if you figure out how you learn and do that, that will be your best weapon out there. But it's just figuring that out, that piece first before you go forward. And mine is, uh, the way I learn is auditory and visual learning the best. So when I was in college, as hard as it is to read and study, I actually had to read the books onto a tape recorder at the time, because I'm old, um, and then listen back to it and listen to myself reading it over and over again to actually absorb that information to pass the classes. So, um, so yeah, that's, that, that, that's something I had to do. Man, I, thank you again for being on here. We really appreciate this. And I definitely want to thank you as not just as a podcaster, but as a parent of someone on the spectrum for giving us books like this and being open with us about your dyslexia. So thank you again for this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, we are back with another wonderful author. This one is by the name of Mr. Robert Bowling, and uh, he's going to tell us about his book and just introduce himself. So thank you for being on the podcast. Tell us something about you that no one really couldn't find out about you on the Internet. Okay. So um, so my name is Robert Bowling. Um, I am a retired Fisher's Police Officer, spent um, uh, 20 years in law enforcement, in North Carolina, uh, Indiana. I I am an Indiana transplant, came here in 2008, um, and uh, I became the department's first historian. Um, So I was instrumental in trying to track down our history of the police department, and then that led me to my first book. Uh, So my first book is called Wicked Fishers. It focuses on the salacious, the scandalous type crimes and fishers, ghost stories, urban legends, um, and yeah, that's that's about it. It's uh, I had a great time writing the book, and um, and so far, it's a lot of people have enjoyed reading it. And you know what? I think it's really great that we can have people such as yourself. That one, thank you for your service as protecting us, because as someone who is military, as well as family members who have been in the service of of being a police officer, I always want to say thank you for that specifically. Um, but here's the other thing I really enjoy is the fact that we're telling local history, especially from the police department as well. And I think that's really something that a lot of people need to hear because it, it gives you guys more of a more personable outcome when it comes to realizing, oh, my gosh, they're actually a person behind the badge. Um, and it's really cool that you're doing that, especially with a lot of the myths and all the ghost stories and stuff like that as well. So what inspired you to actually write this book? So that's the funny uh, thing about this is that 
I didn't come up with the idea to write this book. Um, a, a publisher actually found me and asked me to write the book. Um, so before I was writing, before I even wrote this book, I was writing history articles for the Current, Current and Fishers, local newspaper. Um, and then I got an email one day from this publishing company um, that said we discovered some of your articles and we thought that you might be a good up person to write a book. And I asked him, I was like, well, how did you find me? And he goes, well, we, we saw your articles. And he goes, and one of my jobs is not only just to help, help people get published, but I do a lot of Facebook stalking. So they stalked me on the internet. They, they found my information, um, asked me would I like to write this book. And I, as a young kid, I thought it'd be really cool to write a book. But as I got older, I'm like, that dream kind of sailed away. So when they approached me about this, writing a book about fishers, I jumped on the idea. Um, I did not realize just how big of an undertaking it was. Um, trying to you know, get all your thoughts on paper, making sure you have enough to write. And that was one of my biggest challenges was when you think of Fishers, we're, we're a, big, a lot bigger city than we, when, than we used to be. But it, was there enough history there to actually write a book? And then I found out there, there, there really was. Oh yeah, there's definitely. Um, I believe, uh, if I'm correct, you actually have a book in the library. Is that correct? I believe I have that book at home right now, and I was like, "Wait a minute, Fisher's history." Oh, I know this one. Yes, um, I'm actually working on that one. And yes, there is a lot of stuff in that one. So I don't know how you didn't lose your mind out of that, but um, but it's funny that we're, we're telling stories. We're actually reminding people of where we came from. And especially the local people, because, you know, when it comes to learning how to connect with a, a community, you have to remember where you came from sometimes, I believe. Is, is this something that helped you to inspire you to really just continue on this project? Yes. Um, so every time I, when I'm writing, I see what Fishers is like today. I try to picture what Fishers was like in 1872 when it was founded or in 1900 and um, when I see some of these old pictures I try to t put myself back in that place but as, as a writer I'm trying to make sure that people who only know about fishers today can understand that the city was a lot smaller than what it currently is um, but just because we were a small city doesn't mean that we can't make a big impact and um, you know I, I found stories where we were uh papers in England were taking notice of a small town, maybe no more than 300 people. And here we, here we are. Um, today, we're a city of almost 90,000. So it's, it's my biggest job as a writer is trying to make sure they understand that the city has grown dramatically. Um, and then you got to put the context of the stories into those time periods. Yeah, because there's one thing about history is that we don't want it to repeat, but the idea that this place has grown so much between the time that it started to now is amazing. 90,000? That's crazy. So here's the other thing I'd love to ask people is when you're writing this stuff, obviously with yours it's, a little, it's more history than anything, but what is your writing kryptonite? Um, I would have to say it's just... I guess sometimes getting that writer's block. Um, I know what I'm trying to write, and then sometimes I get... It's almost like squirrel, right? Um, and 
I get distracted sometimes easily, so I have to keep myself on, um, uh, trying to keep myself focused. Uh, but I think that's probably my kryptonite is just trying to overcome the writer's block. Um, when I'm trying to get, I have all these thoughts in my head, but trying to put them down on paper is the hardest part sometimes. Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely understand that. And that's one of the really popular uh, answers to that question from all of our authors. So with that being said, is there a quote that keeps you going when it comes to your writing or just to be the best person that you can be in your own personal life? Um, I don't know if there's an actual uh, quote that I kind of that I live by, um, but I know for me it's just what motivates me is just my own professional accomplishments just trying to push myself even further so like with this book you know I was kind of terrified at first I was excited to write a book but there was a lot of fear um, you know you have to get this word count and um, was there enough to write a book um, and that was one of my biggest fears going through this process was this is Fisher's is there enough out there to write a, uh, to write a book about um, and so for me, that's how I just keep pushing myself. Um, you know, I've already got another uh, project in the works um, right now. Um, and after I wrote this first book, it's almost like it's almost like an addiction. Like you're waiting. You now you want to write another book. Oh, yeah, that's definitely how I am, too, with this stuff. So thank you again for being on here, Robert. We really appreciate it. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for being you and serving this Fisher community and just continue doing what you're doing, man, because these are things, these are stories that we need to hear, especially as a community. Well, thank you for having me. And we are back with another wonderful author. This time, we're going to the uh, into the spy zone a little bit here with Mr. Ross Carley. So thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it, sir. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. So as I always tell people with authors, we really want to know everything as much as we can with them to get that personal connection. So if you could please introduce yourself a little bit and then maybe possibly share something that people can't find about you on the Internet. Well, I can't tell you all about myself or I'd have to kill you. I'm a former member of military intelligence uh, in the Vietnam era, but um, it has led into the background for some of my books, obviously. And I currently am a, a consultant in cybersecurity, uh, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, which also uh, gets in, into my books. And which book are we going to be talking about today with the, our listeners? Well, my latest book, which is The Three-Legged Assassin. Uh, the Three-Legged Assassin uh, obviously is a, uh, a guy who kills people for money. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And here, here's the thing I really thought this was pretty cool, because you never think about a assassin with a missing leg but um what is it that really inspired you to actually write this book one of my big inspirations for this book was my my older son mark mark is a three-time cancer survivor with his leg amputated above the knee and the three-legged assassin is a three-legged is a three-time cancer survivor with his leg amputated above the knee and so many of the same challenges that my son faced who he works in Washington, D.C. in the intelligence community. Uh, 
my, my protagonist, Lance Garrett, faces those same uh, challenges in my book. Wow, that, that's really cool because I've always noticed that when it comes to fictional writing, that when you have somebody that's around you that inspires you so much like that, it makes it a lot easier to create the characters a lot better as well. So one of the things I always love to ask people is, what is your writing kryptonite? What is it that really makes it difficult for you to, to write sometimes? Nothing makes it that difficult for me except just finding time. I do consulting uh, about one day a week, and most of the rest of my time I focus on, on writing. And the other thing, I guess, if, you, if, if you're an author like I am, I spend a lot of time with independent bookstores. So I do signings and I do uh, interviews and so on at the bookstores. And, uh, but I don't, I, don't, I don't view that as interfering with my writing. It sort of competes with it, but it also contributes to my interaction with my readers and my book sales. Well, yeah, I can definitely think of time not being on our side when it comes to writing sometimes, especially when you have a whole lot of things in your head that you want to put out on, on paper, and it's very difficult sometimes. On or on computer, yeah, that's true. Um, so one of the last things I always ask people is, um, is there a quote that really allows you to push yourself when it comes to your writing or just be a better person in life in general? Well, I, I, what came to mind when you said that, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that, your question a little bit more, but uh, my, my, the tagline of my, my book, uh, The Three-Legged Assassin, is uh, an assassin takes out a contract to kill a mob boss's daughter. What could possibly go wrong? I, I don't know. What could possibly go wrong with that? And the reason I answered the question that way is one of my short stories is The Curse of the Benjamin Mansion. And the tagline for that was a Halloween party at a haunted house during COVID. What could possibly go wrong? I, I, I don't even know if I have any answers on that one that would make it really nice to put out. But thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate this. You are welcome. And my books are available on Amazon uh, as well as local independent bookstores, particularly in the Indianapolis area. I know this is going far outside of that, but I do uh, work with independent bookstores. Well, that is awesome. Thank you again for being on our show. We appreciate it. We are back with Miss Diana Katz of the Sisters of Crime, Sisters in Crime, and she is not only the what is it, the director? I'm past president, currently secretary of the chapter. And she's also a, an author herself who's had plenty of books out today. And we are willing to thank you for being on the show first off. And just tell us about yourself and possibly something that maybe somebody can't find on the internet about you. Oh, okay. Well, actually, um, I'm a microbiologist. I have my own business. It's, called, it's an environmental microbiology laboratory, which we test bacteria in water, and we test mold in homes and air quality testing. Wow. Yeah, so that's my life. And then, as a side thing, I write mystery, um, horror, sci-fi, that kind of thing. And usually it's in the short story format. I have my first novel coming out this year. And what is it called? Death Map. Of course. 
Well, one of the other things I love to talk to people about is what inspired you to actually start writing the book that you're working on right now? Well, I'm in, like I said, I do environmental uh, research and studies, and this has an environmental component. And so I had thought of something that could really be bad that would happen and, and just went with that. <laughs> Well, you know, mold is definitely one of those things that can kill, that's for sure. Well, this isn't about mold, but it has to do with an environmental toxin. Well, I'm that's definitely into... Oh, dang it, she's... <laughs> I thought I was going to get an insight on the insight, but I guess not. Oh, well, I will just have to get the book then. How's that? So, <laughs> so one of the other things I really like to ask is, you know... When it comes to your writing, what is your writing kryptonite? What is it that you have a more difficult time with when it comes to your writing? Is it more of like uh, per, being distracted easily? Is it uh, just the people around you just having what? It's finding the time. So before I started my business, I had a regular uh, university position mm-hmm. and I had a lunch hour and I would write in my lunch hour. And I also have kids that were in sports, and I would write while they were having practice. So once I started my own business, I no longer had free time like that. And so it's been harder uh, to fit time in. And I'm mostly focused on short stories after after that. So I've got like 20 short stories published. Well, that's definitely cool on that one. And I've noticed that a lot of times it is the time frame that we don't have time to do it as much as we want to because of life in general. So... Is there a quote that allows you to continue to get yourself moving to do more writing or just to be a better person in general? A quote? Mm-hmm. Don't spring that on me. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. Uh, just persevere, stay positive, and uh, shoot for your dreams. You know what? That's the best thing you can say. Thank you very much for being on here. We appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to reading your book. Okay. Thank you very much. We are back with another author. This one is by the name of Mr. Michael Dabney. And he is a part of a wonderful group called the Sisters in Crime, as well as Miss Diana. So, Mr. Michael, thank you for being on our show. We really appreciate it. So, one of the things I really love to do is help the authors really introduce themselves specifically to our audience. So, if you could tell something about yourself and maybe something that people can't find on the Internet about you. Well, that's... um um, amazing sort of question because um, I haven't actually looked to see what people could find out about me on the internet. Um, I haven't self-served, but I'm a, a former journalist, a retired journalist, and I worked in um, a newspaper, magazine, wire service. I spent a lot of time United Press International, and I was working in Philadelphia from 1982 to, to 2002, and it was during that time. Um, in 1985 that I was covering the move disaster um, that happened when the Philadelphia Police Department bombed the house of the radical group move and burned down the entire neighborhood and killed 11 people. And uh, when I decided to write a novel, um, I decided to set it during that time. 
and my novel is called An Untidy Affair, and it's by the um, that's the title, and the author is M. B. Dabney. It's my first and middle name, Michael Bruce Dabney, but in any event, M. B. Dabney. And although the novel, the detective novel, is not a, so much about move, but it is set it with move as a background, and so you get a, a clear understanding, I hope, um, of what was going on as this detective, a young detective named David Blaze, is, you know, gets two new cases on the same day of the move disaster, and he has to, you know, feather it out, and um, he gets a stalker um, who wants him to give up one of these two cases, at which point he figures out that these cases are actually related. And then when his stalk, the stalker gets killed um, in David Blaze Detective's apartment, he realizes there's a real killer out there and he's got to find them before he is literally buried alive. Wow. So as someone who really enjoys detective uh, detective novels and old time radio and stuff like that. This is definitely something that I really will be interested in reading. So, what made you? What inspired you to actually write about this specific story? What was it about the event that made you say, "Hey, I want to actually put a detective in this area in this time frame"? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question because when I decided to write um, uh, my very first mystery novel, and this is. Um, this wasn't what I was going to write. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to write the story I wanted to for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, okay, I started with a totally blank page. And I thought, what, something interesting in my past, because I covered Move, and I thought, well, that would be an interesting time to put something in. And, um, and that's, how it, that's how it started. And um, I, just, I picked a, a young detective who, if, if you read about him, he looks exactly like me, except for the fact he's younger, <laughs> taller, thinner, better looking, and much smarter. But other than that, he looks exactly like me. And he faces the challenges of, of, of his two cases, and um, you know, just kind of see uh, where it goes. But it was an interesting time. And like I said, I do cover move, you know, to a degree, but it's it's more of a it's more of a background. And it helped me to in ways that I did not suspect, it helped me deal with issues that I had had for a long time with having covered. And I was able to explore that a bit, you know, in the writing of this detective story. So it was a little bit more of therapy as well because of the fact that you were seeing and, and writing about so many things that truly happened for these people. And it was just another way of you possibly just presenting it out to the world while still finding closure for yourself in a way. Yeah, I, you know, it was a closure that I didn't know that I needed to have, oddly enough, until I was, until I was writing and actually until I was actually editing and I realized, oh, you know, there were, there were, I had unresolved issues um, with covering, um, at the time, a very tragic event that, um, as I've said before, there was no moral or ethical or even, I think, at the very best, marginal legal um, reason for the violence that, that, that occurred. Uh, but certainly no moral, I, I felt, or ethical reason for it. And, um, but I was there as a reporter to cover this. And so I took myself out of it 
you know, and um, covered it as best I could to be as fair um, to everyone as I could. But I, you know, it still impacted me. And it wasn't until actually when I was I was editing the story that I realized how much of the problems that I had with it that were unresolved. Well, I, I think that's one of the great things about being an author is the fact that we can do that. We can actually find ourselves being a part of the story in some way, shape, or form. So one of the things I really love to ask, these, uh, ask authors is, what is your writing kryptonite? What is it that deviates you from writing sometimes or you have difficulty with when you're writing? Hmm, that's an interesting sort of question. I um I don't really know. I, I, I tend to, in that sense, tend to stay in my lane. I write pretty much what I like to read. I like to read suspense thrillers and mysteries, and that's pretty much you know how I go about when I go about writing. Which is always good to have because then you don't have to worry about those kryptonites. So, is there a quote that really helps you to keep continuing to write, or maybe just make yourself uh, allows you to be more of a better person than you already are oh well that's you're really asking hard questions very deep and pro no i can't think of anything that in particular except that you know writing is is it's difficult it's hard work it is very hard work but what i truly love about writing is not so much the writing itself is having written i love having written you know, um, the process of writing is like beating my head up against a brick wall. But once you're done, it just feels sublime. You know, I think that's one of the best ways to end this. Thank you very much for your time, Michael. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much.